hobby and choose But I'd just like to know Give me a clue as to where I am at Feel like a mouse and you act like a cat I'm dazed and confused Hanging on by a thread I'm being abused I'd be better off with it I Stand as teas and I'm starting to crack. You're out to get me, you're on the right track. Oh yeah, dude. My name is Jonathan, and this is Seth. Hello, Seth. Jonathan, hello. Uh, Seth is sitting down for this episode. Uh, as I have to sit down because it's what we're embarking on. This is a uh, special episode. This is a very special episode of Oh Yeah, Dude. America through the eyes of two American Americans. Um, what do you have? You hold, I have you're holding a full. A, is that a folder? A a yeah, a binded folder of some sort. Uh, it is a, uh, there's a photograph of me as a young boy, uh, underneath, underneath it says it is titled the story of my life written by Jonathan Larroquette. And that's December 18th, 1990. The picture is from a much earlier age. Okay. So this is a, uh, I believe it is part, it was a project for a creative writing class where I had to maybe submit a few short stories musings um, give me a so december of 1990 you were born yeah i don't august really, 7, a little bit older a little bit older than i care to admit based off the comic sans yeah 87 88 89 90 so you're 13 years old just right which, now y- yeah which yeah you're 13 yeah you're, t- you're a tween yeah a teen but it's it's a bit odd because i haven't read 
through this. this is, say December 1990. I mean, this is we're going back. This is 1990. Yeah. So, well, it was hot in 1990. Well, that's the thing is that I, it seems as though in some of these things that I've read back that obviously some of they were for school projects. I'm, I feel as though I'm playing it a bit cuter than I really am because so far this thing from just a little glance that I've, it seems a bit dear. And I mean, technically I'm not a virgin at this point. Not a virgin at 13. You have lost your virginity as of this, the author of this piece has lost his virginity. Yes. Just. Shit, man. Just. But you know what I mean? Like I'm definitely, (laughs) I'm just, I I think I, you know, you're, 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 you're kind of playing it up, buttering up, playing it up to the teachers a bit, you know, trying to be charming and cute. And I think. What was the date on? It was December what? December 18th. 1990. Okay. So Home Alone was released on the, was just released on November 16th. So you'd probably seen Home Alone. As of this writing, you'd probably seen Home Alone in a theater. Twice already. <laughs> wow. Um, did you see Misery in the theater? I did. So you'd seen not only Home Alone. I'd also seen um, uh, that this is David, not, I'm looking at 1990. David, David Lynch movie, but... Not Blue Velvet. What was the one after Wild that? at Heart? Wild at Heart. I'm just looking at... I'm trying to think of what was so fresh in your mind. What year did Wild at Heart come out? Let me look that up quickly. Because <laughs> I remember seeing that and knowing that I shouldn't be seeing it. I brought a date. Wild was, at Heart came out in 1990. Yeah, I saw Wild at Heart. It came out... Oh, uh, release date. It came out in the summer, August of 1990. So oh, that was a hot summer yeah, in LA. I'd already seen Wild yeah, at Heart. I'd already watched Wild at Heart. So let me get this straight. You're 13 years old, fucking and seeing Wild at Heart in the theaters. Like, I live in LA. <laughs> wow. Um, so this is a classroom assignment? It was a, yeah, it was a collection of stories. And I guess some are autobiographical. Maybe all of them are autobiographical except for one. Okay. So should I just read the the contents first? Start from the start. But should I read what they're? Tell me everything. Um. Number one is called "Dads Are Pretty Cool." Story number two is called "Not Camp Punishment." Oh, this is a glimpse. We're gonna we're going inside. Number three is a fictional piece. Titled Los Angeles Under Siege. <laughs> Whoa. Now, understand, if you hear this, Jonathan owns the rights to this novella. If it is to be turned into a screenplay, he will get writing credit. Uh, number four is called The First Step Out from the Shadow. Wow. And number five is titled What My Family Means to Me. Okay. Story number one, dads are pretty cool. Definitely. I think that the person that has made the biggest influence on me has to be my father. He has showed me things that only someone with genius could notice. (laughs) (laughs) I can't. He has shown me things that what? Only someone with genius could notice. He is an educator of things that you can never learn in school. I think one of the reasons he wants to educate so badly is because he went through a learning experience when he had to stop drinking. Because if he hadn't, he would have died from it. Fuck. 
he knows that if you are not taught properly, you can get into situations where you don't know what to do. I like to believe that my father and I have a relationship of truthfulness and respect for one another. How old's Ben at this point? Three. Okay, so it's you and your old man. Yeah. I mean, Ben's a child. Yeah. I love my father for the person he is and what he has to offer. Although I was young, and she corrects, there's a comma that I don't put there. There's one, two, in this one paragraph, really quickly, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten commas that I missed in this one short little paragraph, just so you know. It's a style of writing that she wasn't... It's a stream of consciousness. A lot of the greats do that. I mean, Bukowski did it, I think. Everybody. It was the guy with the bandana. That guy did it, right? Um... Although I was young, I remember the years my father was drinking, and it got pretty hectic. My dad had been drinking since he was 18, and he was now 30, and my mom kicked him out of the house. She said, if you're going to die, go die somewhere else. These words hurt, but not enough to get him sober. Sometime later, he noticed that if he didn't stop soon, he was going to die. One morning, he woke up, comma, and since then, comma, he has been sober. He takes it just one day at a time. He feels that it is his responsibility to teach people that there is a way out and that they can pull themselves out. My father has always had a talent in entertainment, That's especially true. acting. Well, <laughs> in particular, the theatrical. Oh, it's true. When he was little, yeah, he was watching TV, and he decided he wanted to become an actor. He pursued this dream and became an actor on a television series called Night Court. Although he did succeed, drinking became an obstacle in his path, which stumped him for a long time. This proves to me that anything is possible. <laughs> Even you mean anything like getting on a TV show? <laughs> Even recovery from oh. a long, strange trip, which took you far away from home, which is underlined as excellent by the teacher. Yeah, it is the excellent. My long, strange trip that you stole that I managed the dead. from the dead. That's a bitch you didn't listen to the dead because the everything else I've written is from my own mind. The part I stole is the one you highlighted, and we're like, perfect. I love my father for deciding that his family was more important than anything else in the world. In my mind, comma, I know that this was all meant to be and that everything is now okay. <laughs> it's pretty weak sauce. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's heavy shit. You remember that? Yeah. It got that real? It did get real. There it is got one... real enough that your mother was like, you're going to no, die no, no. So, because you're an alcoholic and I want you to die a, in another th- there place, is an old not story. around our kids. There was an old story that it maybe my father hallucinated it. I'm not sure. But my mom kicked him out of the house. Uh, she was working very hard at that time. Uh, he wasn't working an awful lot as an actor. And she was taking care of my sister and, and I. Um, this is prior to my brother being born. My you know, my father was sober by the time my brother was born. But um, 
She kicked him out. He moved out of the house. He moved into some fucking dumpy fucking apartment in like the marina or some shit. Whoa. And she would take me there and drop me off occasionally to hang out with him, to catch up and hang out. Whoa. I maybe have told this story before. But, I but um, I remember a couple of things very vividly. I remember my mom and I shopping at a Safeway and buying him a folding lawn chair, a uh, beach chair, really. And it was black and yellow. I, I vividly remember it. And it was... I didn't quite get why we were doing it, but it was because he was living in a like a dump and had no furniture. It was like his, wow. so it was his chair. It was in the living room. So she bought him a chair for this place, and I never really thought of it, uh, thought of it again until. So she furnished his well apartment I mean, with a with a I think lawn she, chair she from just, a supermarket. Clearly, just to give him a place. I think she had. You What's know, the state of mind he's in that this is? Yeah, here, he's yeah. just living on a floor, like yeah. drinking. And she yeah. had obviously been there and seen that he had no stuff, and so gave him this lawn chair, uh, beach chair. And I remember being. Th- I remember thinking it was cool, definitely because the color. I want whatever one. It was like you know yeah, contrasty kind of. Cool. <laughs> so, one day she drove me there. I guess on a weekend or whatever to spend a day with him. And we got to the door, and after several knocks, he finally came to, I guess, and got to the door and opened the door, and he was, like, gone. Shadrach. Just Shadrach. Not nude, though, at least. He was- I mean, he was nude the majority of my childhood. Um, but as, no. as a free spirit. Yes, but as a free spirit. Not in this particular I don't case. think so. But let's say tattered bathrobe, probably. Um, and I was thrilled to see him and to hang yeah. out with him. This is a bit heartbreaking. And I remember my mom leaving me there and walking into the living room and seeing the beach chair and it was broken. It had, it was, he managed it, to break. Yeah. It. I mean, I think in part because, he, you know, he was drunk, but also he's enormous. Big, and like yeah. the thing was just a dinky man. fucking beach chair. But I remember seeing it cracked and broken and just lying on the floor in the living room. And it was the only piece of furniture in the living room. I think there was a television on the floor and my mom says hi, bye, leaves. And as soon as she leaves, he's basically gonzo. And he's like, we should lie down. Like, we should take a nap. It's like nap time. And I was like, what? what? Like, I'm like so excited to see you. Like, and like, you're going to make me lie down like and 1130 take in the a nap. And he was sleeping on a, like a military cot. And he's six fucking four, you know? So the thing wasn't big enough for half of him, much less the two of us. Yeah. And I just remember, like, I I was, like, crawling out of my skin. And all he wanted to do was just sleep. And me just, like, bothering him and, like, not wanting to sleep or whatever. And I believe it is within this visit that the story that he tells or he told me or has told me that he's in order to try to keep me like to to ramp me down sorry in order to try to like keep me like to keep me distracted and just he's like starts asking me questions and just sort of like calm down and just talking to me and and it gets around to this this thing where he's like well do you uh you know what do you do you believe in you know do you believe in god and i was like i said to him yes i do and he said 
okay, like, what do you, you know, what do you think about, what do you, what do you think he's like or something like that? And then he said, where do you think he lives? This is so heavy. And my answer to him when he said, where do you think he lives? is said, I don't know, dad, but I know he doesn't live on an island called Cognac. <laughs> Which is like, so. Wow. And Ooh, where the, where'd you hear that one? I, I mean, I know that Cognac was his drink of choice at that point. And I remember always knowing that somehow. I think maybe because it was around or whatever. And maybe I just picked it up or I don't know. But he remembers me hearing it. And maybe it wasn't, you know, like I'm saying, maybe he was having fucking DTs and was just, you know. But it seems as though maybe I said that. And that it was one of those sort of like, oh, fuck moments of like, Jesus Christ, this kid. But it was it was a Yeah. It's a lot more dramatic than my little <laughs> one-page story, I guess. About, yeah. but yeah, there was there was a bit of a a bit of a run there. It didn't last long. I mean, she booted him out, and I think he pulled his shit together within a year or so, you know. And that was it. You know, it wasn't any big, you know, relapse or anything like that. It was pretty much. I mean, he had he had known that he was going to have to stop drinking at some point, or he was going to die for some time before that had happened and then i think once he kind of turned the corner it was like he was done that's some that's some dark shit yeah him getting heavy yeah i mean he was kid and i mean mind you this is i mean it's not like he was had already been on baba black sheep and black sheep score i mean he had already had i mean he already had promise and a career and had been on things and worked and and so this is definitely somebody who is dismantling his own life a bit or you know anyway Moving on. Yeah. That's... Um, to a, to a, a happier time. Not camp. Punishment. And this is a... Uh, I can't. I, just, I don't know if I can do this one. I think that the toughest, toughest time I ever had to endure was a survival school in Wyoming. It was the toughest time because I had to bring... Some, it had. How, I, did, how did you end up at a survival school in Wyoming? I'm going to explain that okay. in a second. <laughs> uh, it was the toughest time because I had to bring something out in me that had never come out before. I am now a better person. I was actually excited when my mother told me I was going to this quote-unquote camp. More like Auschwitz, if you ask me. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Late. Oh, man. But this excitement soon changed abruptly. That past school year had been quite an unsuccessful one. And lately I had been changed into kind of a spoiled rich kid. That summer, what I really wanted to do was nothing. I wanted to go to the beach and bum around all summer. (laughs) Wrong. Yeah. Come on. Luckily, my parents wouldn't stand for that, and I was off for one hell of a ride. (laughs) Amazing. How's your opening voiceover to our 80s movie that you wrote? Uh, On the plane. Kicks into like Huey Lewis. like (laughs) Back to school, like watching back to school on like a rudimentary, like portable VHS player. On the plane ride there, I met a guy named PJ who was going to the camp as well. And he was just as worried as I was. Flying out of LAX with you? Yeah. Okay. Another spoiled rich kid. Uh, He was just as worried as I was. 
the day that we got there, we were immediately thrown into thrown into a world in which you felt you knew nothing about. Hold, can I ask you? You're thir- how old were you here? This is your. This is how maybe a year or t- earlier, two years. No, you're- I maybe a year or two earlier. Okay, yeah, so like maybe I twelve. Think I was eleven. Uh, young. That's young. Smoked my first cigarette uh, at the camp at the survival camp. Did dip, dipped, came back and dipped. Came like, back and was came the, back yeah. was like was like skull. would yeah. like roll around with skull in my back pocket and was like trying right. to get like the burn in the back pocket. Yeah, uh, really. all the camp counselors were deadhead teenagers and up until that point in my life the dead uh iconography the 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 imagery of the the lightning bolt skull and all that kind of stuff um i was into guns and roses and metallica and stuff like that but in my mind i had made some connection with the dead logos and i believe that they were like metal beyond metal it was like like shit true metal like true metal that you don't like fuck with unless you're like into like sacrificing babies and shit and i remember at the camp these guys all had steal your faces on like sewn onto their fucking backpacks because they were all kids who had been there but from wyoming they're all hippie kids they're all on tour and shit and that's who hooked me up with sigs and dip and shit but at some point I walked into we all lived in teepees at base camp, the the regular camp, and then we would go out on these two week outings on the survival part of it. So you kind of do like a skills week, uh, horse packing and all this kind of stuff, and then you'd go out. But I remember walking in one time to like a counselor's a bunch of counselors smoking weed or whatever in a teepee and this they they were playing this music and I was like, What is this? And it was like this country bumpkin bullshit, and they were like this is the dead man like fucking grateful dead and i was like in my head i just was like and they didn't didn't mention that i was like oh i thought they were like metal beyond metal i just in my head was like this is the grateful dead like he's like yeah so all right like stop fucking around let's get the dead on for real let's fucking rock this sir i had a bit of a mullet at this point in my life, I had, I had to. Well, I wasn't allowed to have long hair at the school that I went to at the time, so I grew the back out, uh, and it was what wasn't supposed to go past my collar, but it did. Just enough, but, but so long as I kept the bangs and the sides. So I had a, a little more a, like a sort of. I had a permanent retainer in. I remember also uh, that was glued into my mouth. It was sort of like pre braces, which I ultimately it was to in order to avoid getting braces, but ultimately I had to get braces anyway. A couple of years later. Uh, and a mullet and good flow with more. Yeah. Few things happen at this, on this, at this camp. A couple of times I was scared, more scared than I've probably ever been in my entire life. That's good. They're scaring you straight, right? Yeah, well, this, this wasn't part of the program. Yeah. This was us like getting caught sneaking out and like, like oh, okay. dudes doing like a, like older, like counselors, like thinking we were being slick, them knowing and being like wise to it. And then like. SWAT team scaring us like thinking that they were gonna like gut us and shit and it was just them like having a hoot you know and then also the survival part of it there was one period of time where like a girl got helivacked out for like malnutrition and like I almost drowned in a river and like it was pretty hectic so where was I I wanted to go to the beach and bum around all summer luckily my parents wouldn't stand for that and I was off for one hell of a ride on the plane ride there, I met a guy named PJ. He was going to the camp as well and was just as worried as I was. The day we were got the day we got there, we were immediately thrown into a world in which you felt you knew nothing about. We hiked for miles, chopped wood, and did plenty 
of preparing for the big five-day survival hike in which you had to work to get your food so as to not get sick from hunger. At the time, I was miserable, and I couldn't wait to, go, to get home. But now that I look back on it, I am grateful that my parents made me go because I feel that if I hadn't, I would be in some serious trouble. You also wouldn't be addicted to tobacco. <laughs> That's one thing. Fuck. I mean, imagine. I mean, you're smoking cigarettes now at 40 because of your parents sending you on this trip. You're right. And I listen to The Grateful Dead. Still. <laughs> see, still seeing them on tour as an adult. So basically this trip really set everything off in maybe a different direction. Maybe Chaka Brown with the bros at the beach might have been the fucking best thing. Might have thing. not been so bad. Could have, yeah. Jonathan Neal's a surf shop. Because then yeah. I came back and I was like an outsider because they had all yeah. had bonding beach summer, summer and I was like, you don't know what it's like being out in the fucking wilderness, man. Yeah, like. Man. Carrying a knife around with me all the time, yeah. dip in my back yeah. pocket, you know. Yeah, holding switchblades, everybody. This guy's crazy. <laughs> I mean, imagine, Seth, being stripped of everything you own. I can't. And everything you take for granted, like showers, food that tastes good, clean clothes, etc. Then maybe you will be able to understand how it felt. I thank God for giving me the chance to turn it around. Right now, I am taking it one day at a time. <laughs> it's just like my pops. Death. And if I play my cards right, I just might be able to turn my mess of a life around for the better. This is amazing. <laughs> so a, a couple of things that happened in that camp. The, the first time I dipped, I was in a creek. Perfect. and. I dipped like fly fishing and then got up and was trying to like walk across the creek, like on dry rocks that were like staged across. And I got so dizzy that I just fell like head first and like woke up and they were like pulling me out of the creek. (laughs) But that's not the time that I almost drowned. drowned. The time I almost drowned was during the survival hike part. The survival hike, we had a bunch of rations, which were like a couple of pieces of Velveeta, some red, red rope licorice, a couple of little things for sustenance, which of course, we all ate like on the on hike the walk, up there. Yeah. It was great. And then we were we were we had twenty two uh, caliber rifles, uh, some handmade fishing. Uh, what was to to hunt food? To hunt food to shoot uh, people vermin in the woods. Well, like squirrels and shit. But it was right after the massive Wyoming fires, and so the place that they took us was completely and totally burned out, and there was little to no vegetation except for these wild onions that grew. There were no fucking squirrels or fucking rodents to shoot or eat and and so i remember we killed like a baby snake and tried to eat that and that didn't really what like the that wasn't fuck good is this and then also i went so it, there was a there was a fresh creek though and i remember one day it was like two three days in and we were all pretty delirious uh, all of it like all right. scabs over our lips like all sunburnt like totally fucked covered in soot and ash and this one girl had gone on like a hunger strike thing where she just refused to eat like the few things that we did manage to kill. She wouldn't eat. She was just totally grossed out by it. And she became so fucking sunstroked and everything that they had to get her out of there. Literally. I went swimming in the creek one day and was just like wading around. And there was a bit of a, a, a rapid that yeah. sort of like moved you down river. And so I was just sitting there like kind of floating, allowing myself to float. And then there was this very small little two, three foot little um, drop like a waterfall. Mini rapid. And across that was this fallen piece of timber that was like a a, a tree across it. 
And somehow I just thought like, oh, I'm just going to float to the piece of timber and then grab onto that and just pull myself up. Peace out. But the what I didn't factor in was the the force of water falling, even in a small thing like that. It really, and my weak body from not eating, I grabbed onto the thing and I couldn't hold myself up. And the passage underneath it was going to basically shear my face off, like between the rocks and the wood. And so I'm sitting there like holding it, yelling, and I can see all of my campmates up at the camp and they cannot hear me under over the roar of the rapid. And I'm like getting weaker and Your weaker stab and weaker. lips are like trying to form, help me. And I finally just gave up. Had to. And I just was gave, like, I'm going to draw. Like I'm going to die. And I let go. I love you, God. And I like slipped underneath the Bye. thing and like hit my head or whatever and then just like. Slightly concussed and weak. Yeah, got out. Lived, somehow lived. Um, and then the other thing was when the last week that we were there, we were back at base camp, and there was this girl from San Diego. These two sisters who were a little bit older than me, Italian girls, fully developed, very cute, very cool. And I was crushing on one of them pretty hard. And the shower, we only had two showers the entire month that we were there. Whoa. And one was the day before our parents came to pick us up so that we looked somewhat yeah. presentable. Put some Vaseline the, on your lips. So like two days or fun. something before they came, everyone's taking showers. And the shower was this yurt. It was a canvas yurt. And there was a furnace and a hose that basically essentially went into a bucket in the top of the thing. And the furnace would heat the water, run it through this like makeshift kind of plumbing system and out. So one day I'm just standing there and one of the girls, one of the sisters runs up and she's like in a towel and she was like, can you help me? Like, I, yes. I can't light the furnace, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yes. So I like run down to help her. Is this the she, one that you like? Yes. And she's like basically tried to take a shower and she, she can't light the, the water heating system. And so she's like, yeah, I've been trying to light it. I can't do it or whatever. And so I take these, you know, strike anywhere matches yeah. and it's, mind you, it's like an enclosed thing, like about 10 feet in diameter. Is anybody else around? No, just the two just of the us. Just the two of you. And it's like. In this yurt. In this yurt. And I go and I try to, I light a match and I try to go and light the pilot for the furnace. And as I get the match up to the furnace, it blows out. And not understanding because I'm a fucking retard kid. Sorry, I shouldn't say that, but. Uh, I don't know. I've never lit a furnace in my life. I'm not thinking. I'm just thinking about impressing this girl. Yeah. I don't realize that it's blown it out because she's turned the gas on, tried to light it, and then can't light it. So she leaves, walks up the hill to find me. The whole time, it's just furnace has just been blowing pumping. gas. This entire thing is filled with gas. And so I light a second match, and I go in, and it lights, and the entire room engulfs in flames immediately just, immediately just a giant fireball around my head and i remember standing up because i'm like crouching down to do it and i remember standing up and turning around and she's standing at the entrance of the yurt so she's not affected yeah and i just remember turning and looking and all i see around me in 360 degrees is just flames just flames everywhere engulfed in flames engulfed in flames. your wife like watching but you. mind you it's gas and so it dissipates and burns off very, very quickly. And all of a sudden, as quick as it started, just sucks away. And I'm standing there, eyebrows gone, oh eyelashes God. gone, and I've lost my mullet. My mullet is like... 
<laughs> my mullet's smoking. And I walk out <laughs> of the yurt like dazed and she's just oh, oh, and she's patting my, yeah. my mullet off like to, to keep Finally it. Finally touching you, but to put the flames out. On my mullet. On your Minnesota hockey flow mullet. Wow. Um, so that was Skinner Brothers Survival Camp. The Skinner Brothers were the guys that owned it. They climbed Mount Everest. Uh, Maybe. We don't know. No, they did. Okay. I, because they made you watch their film of oh, them okay. like screaming at each other at the top of Mount Everest. They hated each other. One of them died years later and the other two were under investigation for having murdered the other brother. <laughs> they were like crazy mountain men who we only saw like a few times when they would just tell us like, you'll die out there, yeah. you know, like kind of thing. Totally. But the Skinner brothers were the, it was like a, it was like a, you know, I guess the one that people did a lot was outward bound was the big one. Heard of that. This was like an outward bound, but like it wasn't regulated the same way. So it was, it was like raw, a little raw. Uh, onto a fiction piece. This is a, 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 a vision of a dystopian future. The, a vision of a dystopian future. I believe so. I haven't read written it. Written in 1990 about the city of Los Angeles? Los Angeles under siege. Under siege. It opens. It was December 19th, 2016. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. All right. So this is me looking so is 16 lo years into the future. Looking ahead back to the future together again for the first time. Because as I hear this piece, it's so prescient. I'm looking at it right now, today, it tomorrow, was, maybe. It was December 19th, 2016, and misery has hit L.A. Savages roam the streets, killing those who rebelled against them. This was the second Christmas spent in such a horrid way. Many of my relatives had been killed by these so-called soldiers of their overlord, King Leda. Oh, shit. Let's L-A-Y-D-A. King Leda is the best band name ever. I was a journalist for an underground newspaper. Oh, my God. <laughs> Of course you were. I was a journalist for an underground newspaper that told the truth about what was taking place during the reign of King Leda. The, uh, <laughs> the king and his elite force of human killing machines yep. could have had me killed in a minute. If they wanted. But for some strange reason, they had yet to do so. I wonder why. One night when I was in my home with my girlfriend... <laughs> It's <laughs> awesome. Like an Italian woman from San Diego. <laughs> um, one night when I was in my home with my girlfriend, a few of the soldiers came in and stuck a needle in me. What? The next thing I knew, I was at the feet of the man many people call King. You mean King Leda? <laughs> <laughs> you must be referring to King Leda. <laughs> He looked down at me in a, in a despising way. What did he say? He then laughed and said, so you are the one who got some pretty big words about me. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I can't. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you have been writing a lot of think pieces. I can't. <laughs> 
so you were the one who got some pretty big words about me. In reply, I said, discussing my career with you is of no interest to me. He ordered the guards out and he began to speak. I don't know what the fuck is this, dude. I don't know what the fuck. I have more to more, but more people be liking you than me. I can't. <laughs> what the fuck? What do you mean? What this? He's just like jive talking. He ordered the guys. I have more to more, but more people be liking you than me. I need you to tell people that I be helping them if they bother. Fucking maniac. If they bow to me and call me the king o' their lives, in return for y'all kind doings, I pay you $2 million cash? I asked him if I sh- could show him something. He agreed, so I did so. What? That's how he talks. That's how King Leda talks. Is that $2 million? You asked for too large right there. What the fuck, man? Well, that's just what it, that's what a writer does. You, you let the character envelop you, and then you speak like like the character like, it just comes out of you. That's how King Leda speaks. <laughs> uh, I need you to tell people that I be helping them if they bow to me and call me the king of their o oh, their lives. In return for your kind doings, I pay you two million cash. I asked him if I could show him something. He agreed, so I did so. Okay. I showed him some of the results of his actions. Interesting. How? I showed him deformed children. <laughs> Jonathan, I'm this is dying. A- I'm <laughs> sweating. I am like profusely do you, sweating right do you have now. Any, do you recall where you were when you wrote this? No, any, there's nothing. No, like, no like recollection. When, you sat down, you're when like, I scanned this one, I was like, I have no recollection. Because usually, like the poems and shit, like I, I see a couple of lines and I'm like, I remember ah, this. Yes, like I remember I, exactly what I was. I think. Now your how, your mom found this. This was how do we get this? That my mom had been doing some spring cleaning. Okay. Uh, in the old in their house currently. Just recently, this was, I mean, just, I, I just uh, took a picture it. of it the other yeah, day yeah, yeah. for the first time. She handed it to me. She found a, a, a filing cabinet or a box filled with shit of mine, artwork from art classes when I was a kid and stuff like that. So and good. this was in there. I showed, him, I showed him some of the results of his actions. I showed him deformed children, whole families living in a dumpster, and people starving to death because they were no longer able to walk. For Leda's soldiers had beaten them so severely. I looked in his eyes. There were tears in them. Soon the tears began streaming down his face. He stood up. I stood as well. He embraced me and apologized. Still crying, he rang a buzzer and his guards entered the room. He ordered a message to be broadcast through all of Los Angeles. He was giving all the money back to L.A. (laughs) and withdrawing as a king. Of L.A., I guess. Yeah. <laughs> King Leda of L.A. Oh, that's... Maybe it's Elada. Elada. <laughs> he's he's saying because you, you showed him. Um, he was giving all the money back to L.A. and withdrawing as king. His last words were this. Thank you. You have shown me how wrong I have been all this time. 
Greed is like a whirlpool. It takes you in and you become part of it. It takes complete control of you until you finally go down the drain. Awesome. That's awesome. Holy shit. That was that was an allegory. That story about greed, about power, <laughs> about speaking truth to power, about journalists. Right now, today, how important. So important. So important. December 2016 and May 2017. <laughs> oh, God, man. I hope this isn't as bad. Uh, What's this? This is another biographical piece okay, called... Okay, let's get more... Let's find out a little bit more where, where you're at. The First Step Out from the Shadow. Interesting. When I first heard the suggestion of writing about somebody who had had an influence on my life, I believed that there was no one who had yet succeeded in doing so. Wait, wait a minute, I thought... <laughs> no, but, maybe but I wrote that after. But earlier you talked <laughs> about a genius who showed well, you the way. I'm going to talk about him again okay, here. Okay, hold on. Then I began about to think about the past few years of my life. Okay. And I realized that there have been many people in my life that I have since lost contact with. What? Here I tell how a 13-year-old kid changed my outlook on life. Oh, it's not about my dad. It was early on a Sunday morning in June. I woke up scared out of my mind. Oh, <laughs> we've talked about this guy very early on in uh, UID episodes because there was a letter to my parents about him, a camp letter. <laughs> Not the survival camp, another camp, a different sleepaway camp. <clears throat> I can't, Seth. This is tough, man. This is tough, bro. It was early on a Sunday morning in June. I woke up scared out of my mind. That's right. I was going to summer camp. I knew absolutely nobody, but they all seemed to know each other. You guys all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> In parentheses. I got on a Greyhound bus with a bunch of strangers. Whoa, not a plane this time. This was a bus. The only way anyone found out I existed was when they, when they noticed I was with John Larroquette, the pervert dude from Night Court. They started to get to know me a little better by asking, question, by asking me questions. The one thing I noticed was that the questions they were asking me were all about my dad. What the fuck? I started to think that the only way to make friends was to talk about my dad, the actor. John Larroquette. <laughs> From Night Court. NBC. <laughs> Stripes. <laughs> uh, I'm dying. This is real though, man. This is real. This happened to you. It hurt to think that I was so boring that the only thing I could do was either make stupid jokes or make a fool of myself or talk about my dad to get along with people. I thought about it for a long time, and finally I decided that I would just close up and not talk to anybody about anything. Oh, man. There was one exception. This guy named Greg. <laughs> he noticed me, not the actor's son. <laughs> he noticed Jonathan Larroquette. Yeah. His name was Greg Johnson. He was Don Johnson's son. <laughs> he understood my plight. I'm going to die. I'm going to fucking die. <laughs> oh, shit. Greg Johnson. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. Timothy Brosnan. <laughs> Tomas Brosnan. Spears Brosnan's stepson. There was one exception, this guy named Greg. He noticed me, not the actor's son. He noticed Jonathan Larroquette, and for that, I treated him like a brother. 
I always listened to anything he had to say, even if he was saying, even if what he was saying was not interesting to me. <laughs> he assured me that it was all right for me. It was all right to be me for a change. Nice. Greg brought me out of my father's shadow and my father's success, which I had been in for so long. I did not blame my father for his talent and career. At the time, I needed someone to tell me I was all right and that I was cool. And Greg gave that to me. And I owe my life to him. (laughs) (laughs) And I owe my life to him because I don't know where I would be today if I had stayed in that shadow. I still run into these problems today. But I just take it easy and walk away. I would like to say to all of you, never be afraid to be who you want to be. Fuck yeah. Oh, man. Uh, well, we, not all of us are lucky in our lives to meet a Greg. <laughs> no. Let's us just, we all need a Greg. We all need a Greg. Do you. Um, Live out loud. <coughs> so that camp. Where is Greg? Do you know Greg's cr- last name? I, I don't. Fuck. Um, I don't know where Greg is. He's probably a life coach. He was a cool kid, though. He was like, he was cool. He was a cool kid. This was So that camp experience happened... That was a, a much younger, um, not much younger, obviously. The summer I mean, camp. The, the summer the camp was prior camp. to the survival camp. Yeah. So the chronology of these the is just- The summer camp is, is probably like, hey, let's go to summer camp. It's fun. The survival two years camp later, is like, more like, you're like a fucking prick. Yeah, you got to fucking, fucking go to work this survival out. Camp. We'll try to murder you in the woods with the Skinner brothers. and maybe. I think also my dad was a little uh, a gun enthusiast sort of- Outdoors? I think at that point, the fame had started to get to him a little bit. And that the idea of them looking at moving, which they ultimately did to someplace more rural in the mountains with land around them. He and I both, I, I was into out, I mean, he and I were like fish, fishing people and would shoot guns and shit like that. So I think there was not, it wasn't, I don't think they thought of it as a punishment. I think that's something that I extracted from it because the experience was so intense. So- but I think they did think that I needed to sort of toughen up in some sort of a way and that this might be a good place for me to do that and also maybe be – like I was an outdoorsy kid and I was – I played a lot of like army fantasy games. I was outside a lot. So I think it was – you know, I, I like you know, having pocket knives and yeah. shit like that and starting fires and yeah. shit. So I think it was just sort of like, oh, like let's focus this energy yeah. somewhere. Killing your own meals. and. <laughs> Um, but the, that camp was like, uh, my first sleepaway camp experience. And I remember being like petrified, like, yeah. like crying myself in the middle of the night. Yeah. So afraid of being away from home. So terrified, covered in mosquito bites, covered by these, I mean, surrounded by stranger kids, strangers that were all just from all these other places and so weird and unrelatable and just feeling so crazy and bizarre and alone it's where i learned how to first use a bow and arrow which i also got really into for many years as a kid into archery yes um and and greg uh and so the last one just rounding it out here is called what my mom means to me um i I believe it's titled in the front of the book as what my family means to me. Yes, it is. What my family means to me. However, 
I think it's just about my mom. Because really, when it comes down to it, I mean, I've also talked about my old man nineteen times yeah. in this fucking thing, and my mom talked hasn't about gotten Greg no, before my, you talked about your mom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my only thing in life to live. Uh, well, my, my mom? No, my, Gregory. <laughs> Who I like, I think lost contact with within like oh, three weeks. weeks. <laughs> what my mom means to me. My mom is the most important thing to me because she is someone who I could never pay back for all that she has done. For instance, <laughs> my mother was pregnant with me for nine months. Perfect. Personally, I think we should stop right there. Nice. That's awesome. <laughs> But to go a step further, she stuck with me through the times when I was trying to be a rebel by getting into heavy metal and writing anarchy everywhere. Did you do that? I guess. Everywhere. I, I think just the symbol, not the word. <laughs> but everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Stop doing that. Can't <clears throat> stop. I'm sure that she could have just kicked me out, but she didn't. Kick you out? I love her for that. And I love her for always being there when I needed to talk about any problem I was having. Right now, I'm doing pretty well in school. Definitely no not way. true. No way. Lie. <laughs> Straight lie. Brutal lie. I'm trying to turn it around so I can have more choices in life. And so I can... <laughs> I mean, you got to understand, dude. Shit got... Shit was already getting... I was like... I mean, I, my mom pulled me out of... I mean, my mom blamed every school I ever went to for not catering to my special learning needs. You know, I was a fucking reprehensible, terrible student. I was loud, We all learn obnoxious. in different ways, Jonathan. It's okay. I, I, I avoided, I just was, I was by, by fourth or fifth grade, I was like barely, barely fucking pulling it together. I failed ninth grade which I had to repeat. And it took me six years almost to get out of high school. That's about what it takes. <laughs> Not. Um, <clears throat> so right now I'm doing pretty well in school. What I would, ju I'm just trying, it just, it must've been like a two week run that I was on at that point that I had been, cause like doing this kind of a thing. Oh, look, I'm, I did an assignment. I'm doing this. I'm killing the game the last two weeks. Right now I'm doing pretty well in school and I'm trying to turn it around so I can have more choices in life. And so I can choose where I want to go to school. Never went to college, never took my SATs. <laughs> None of this would be possible without my mom. True. She has given me all of the support I have needed to survive the switching of schools and the loss of friends, all because of me. Because of you. My mother was brought up in a much different environment than I, but it is amazing how she and I can relate to each other's situations. Obviously, our relationship is good, but I feel that it can always improve. So I try to spend time just talking to my mom, not going out or buying her stuff. Just a good chat. <laughs> not going out and buying her stuff. Just, you know, hanging and chatting. Oh, wow. Thanks. Thanks. My mother and I rarely fight about important things. It is usually just me fighting with her because I'm a teenager. Yep. Barely. But when we do fight, we can never stay mad at each other for, t for very long. If I ever win an Oscar or something... Again? <laughs> <laughs> if I ever win an Oscar or something... 
I assure you that some of the words out of my mouth are going to be, I would also like to thank my mother. <laughs> because- <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is so rich, man. Oh, fuck. <laughs> First, I would also like. I to would think- also like. To- oh, by the way, after my agents Greg. and after Greg, <laughs> my agents at CAA, King Later, <laughs> Later. I would also. Uh, so, if I ever win an Oscar or something, I assure you that some of the words out of my mouth are going to be. I would also like to thank my mother, because without her, none of this would be possible. I would like to close by saying, even though you might not love yourself sometimes. Always love your mommy. Yeah. And that's it. Uh, my teacher wrote, John, I'm impressed. You really opened up here. You did. And that has added to the impact of your writing. That's what the greats do. Um, nice cover and presentation. You have quite a few grammatical errors. Come on. However, uh, Wait, what does that mean? You have quite a few grammatical errors, however, so watch that. It can help to fully polish your work. Congrats on a job well done. Story, I got an A. Awesome. Grammar, a B minus. That was being kind on both on both fronts, I think. I wonder who the teacher was. Uh, I can't. I don't even know what school I was at because I went yeah, to you so were many. Mixing up so many schools. Fucking. Wow. <sighs> I think it was Brentwood, which I lasted six months in. That was a good run. That's a terrible run. That was a bad run. That was the shortest run. Okay, I was at Brentwood. Yeah, my my ninth grade. Maybe that's eighth grade. So then I'm still at Our Lady of Malibu Catholic School. So Our Lady of Malibu Catholic School. And then where do you go into high school freshman year? Were you dipping a Brentwood? Oh, you know that? what? This might have been Mrs. Silverman. It looks like Mrs. Silverman's writing. Would that make sense? I have to, <laughs> I have to do the math. Miss Silverman, I was actually really good friends with her son. I saw her not that long ago at a reunion that I went to for Our Lady of Malibu. And she's like the best. And she was like so fucking supportive of me and I was like intolerable because this was when I was like I was in a fucking Catholic school and I like we would have to we had like you know I was an un I was one of the few um non-Catholics and so we had religion class we had to go to mass we had to do all the same shit everyone had to do but I wasn't Catholic and I was like into metal and so like on my religion books I would like do like yeah. satanic drawings and like Metallica shit. And I would like, I was like self mutilating a little bit at that point and Ooh, cutting began cutting too. a little yep. bit and carving my girlfriend's name into my yeah, arm, Sid Nancy style, like yep. that kind of shit. And wow. she was like super patient, patient. So the greats. Um, wow. So yeah. So here we are. Here we are coming up on 40. Staring dead at 40. Staring it dead in the eye. It's May. So you got May and June and July. And then it's like... Bye-bye. What's up? Because I... I looked at... I saw some... I was at IHOP the other day, and I was flipping through the menu, deciding what I was going to get. I had a hankering for pancakes. And maybe there's a... Hank... Hank... Hankakes? 
hankering for pancakes. And I saw the 55 and up menu. And I was like, it, it somehow like, <laughs> it like clicked for me in a way that I was like, I'm like, if you're lucky, you might get, I'm making it. I'm going to, well, yeah, but like, I'm, that's like, that's all there is between now and then it like, there's no, there's not, I mean, in, okay. I could have a kid. That would be rad. That could be cool. But beyond that, there is nothing that society rewards you between now in and that menu and the seniors menu. At so you have your, your birthday on August 7th. And then really the next thing is like 15 years, which isn't that pancakes. long. Now that I look at this show and be like, we've been doing this show for fucking 15 years, basically. So basically I mean, you have your birthday, you turn 40. And then the next thing is essentially like discount getting pancakes at IHOP. Yeah. Like senior discounts and like going to movies by myself and like saving a little like, yeah, you know, pissing my own pants and like saving like three bucks on a movie. <sighs> Looking for Greg. Wondering where he's where, at. Where, where Greg? Where's Greg? You know where Greg is, though. He's like kind of right here in your heart. Always with me. Always with you. Wow. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, dude. America through the eyes of two American Americans. This was episode number five hundred and seventy-six of our podcast. Um, thank you so much for joining us for this episode, and please um, come back. 577 will be a live show. Is that true? This Friday night. In We're not doing another one here before we go? Well, if it's Tuesday now, the show's next weekend. I know. I guess maybe you're right. This one. We do have some live shows. Let me not even yeah, say that. Let's just not say that in case. Come but back for 577. Come one way or the other. But we are doing some live shows. May 19th. That's a Friday. Seattle at the Neptune, be that 577 or 578 or 579. Who knows? Who knows? My mom might find a, you know. But Friday, May 19th at the Neptune in Seattle. A move can unearth innumerable (laughs) gems. You could crack something totally, a whole new new leg of our journey here. A whole new world. Uh, We also are playing Saturday, June 24th at the Aladdin in Portland. Tickets available now. And also July 22nd, a Saturday, at the 930 Club in D.C. Um, thank you for listening to my stories. That was awesome. Do you, what do you... Those are probably... Those are healthy exercises, I would imagine, to assign and to do. <clears throat> what do we do? take from that? I don't know. Well, than time, I mean, time, in my experience all of the stuff that i read from that era of my life that that stretch of my life is that i was i was pompous or something okay that i was a bit i was very dramatic i was very affected uh very i don't I mean, it took me. I mean, I'm still that way, obviously, because it's who I am, and it's and you see that there, you you see. I certainly do. Okay. Like there is a there is a version of that alive and well inside of me now and forever. Okay. But that it took so many years for me to realize how sort of I don't I don't know what to say unattractive or unbecoming that is certainly on an older 
grown-up person that maybe in a kid you can find it a bit charming especially if you're like a smart like teacher who like sees that it's like your life is like gonna go like so shitty and you're gonna be you're gonna be cool because you're gonna have like you're gonna take some knocks and like you'll probably shake out all right or something and maybe if they I mean that's the thing is that people did equip me with stuff that I had no use for at the time because I was too fucking egotistical and self-centered and everything then, but that it lived with me long enough that I had a chance to apply it and use it later on in my life. But I think for me that, that, you know, I was, I I just, it was very try hard, you know, and that maybe we just do that because we, Think of the world as, of course. I don't know, like as kids because it's just us and we're so self-centered and it's just a kid and you don't know that there's like other people suffering in the world or whatever, but that, and then, I don't know. I mean, what do you, what do you think? I don't what know. Is, what do you take away from it? I mean, maybe that or in general, just like, what is it looking back at something like that? I mean, it's hilarious, but it's only hilarious because it's, it, it like, I mean... I'm sure there's other people who wrote stuff and it was just like totally awesome and straightforward and like chill and like maybe even like kind of good, not like insane, crazy and bad. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like so like so dramatic. A lot of like if I didn't, I wouldn't have I wouldn't be alive now and like I've saved my life and turned it around. And I guess that's what you're seeing is that this is the. Point at which I think everyone around me, all the adults in my life, are so concerned with the way that things are going. Does that make sense? Yeah. That up until that point, everyone had cut me slack and thought that I would come around. And at this point, they're like, he has pubes. He's like having sex. Like, this dude is out the fucking door. And he is, like, not ready for the world. Like, he's not applying himself. He's not capable of finishing things. Or doing things, you know, it, it's just everyone is is concerned, I would say, at this point. And that continues for the next several years, you know. And But this is the dawn of that, that the adolescence is kicked in, the rebellion is in full swing, and yeah. there's a delusion to... King Late is in power. And- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. What does it tell you? I don't know. It's just... Uh- you're going to be 40. That's what it tells you. I guess. It's all life just... It's also awesome. The Life, um, life just goes the, on. The, 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 the idea that I'm doing a dystopian futuristic piece and it takes place two like years so ago. So long ago. Yeah, like, what? Like 2016? I mean, it's wild that that's how far away this felt then, that that felt like, how far can I go to where yeah. it's like... Terminator times, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like judgment day and like, here we are. And it's like already passed, you know, it's so crazy that oh. that's like, as far as my fucking stupid little brain could reach it's just like, yeah. what's it going to be like by then? Like, and you're talking about like December, 2016 is like three years ago. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. Uh, that's, it's, uh, life is, is crazy yeah it's so crazy um yeah i guess you just now it just turns into like you hoping that you 
are going to get to go to that IHOP at, when you're 55. I guess that's the shift. Maybe. Yeah, that you you make it that far. You're like like praying like oh it be it would be it would be a joy and like a treat to get food to for cheap. To, think, to get get three bucks food on the movies, cheap. Yeah, food on the cheap. Like that's. That I term. mean, I feel like I still okay. So this this is what I'll say. Okay. Because I it has happened to me that I this this forty has come up for me in yeah. a way over the last I would say month or so. Okay. That I finally am. It's it's it's. I think because of certain people asking me how I feel, like you, constantly pressuring Con- me yeah, to well, think yeah, about I'm it. Like I'm like so obsessed. With um, no, I mean I think I've just started to look at my life, and it has been colorful and varied and wonderful. But there is a um. How do I put this? As as an artist, or as looking at myself as an artist, there is a deficit in my output that alarms me at this point. Because the majority of people who I've been influenced by or who I've uh, taken great pleasure in their work, a lot of them by this point of their lives, some of them were dead some of them long gone run out of ideas nothing good from this point forward in their careers let's say nothing nothing uh, certainly of the magnitude of what they had done prior and that i feel as though that work for me whatever it may be has yet to arrive it's yet to to become besides this show the show is the exception. Thank you. Thank you. It's true. I'm not saying that to, to you know, the, be, except for this show. But as an as a musician, let's say, okay, that I feel as though what I was what my I was intended to do has still yet to occur. Jogger was like the best thing ever, but I envisioned that we'd be five albums deep now, and you know, we're coming up on the 10 year anniversary of the first record and only record we ever made. And now we're like, oh shit, like it's the 10 year anniversary. Like we have to do something because like if we don't do something for the 10 year anniversary of it, then like it's really like a door is is shutting. And I'm in a band now, which I love, but you know, I have made a lot of music in secret for my whole life Okay. and made a lot of drawings in secret my whole life. And part of being an artist is sharing that stuff, which we do here on a regular basis, which is, which is where the payoff I think really occurs is in the letting go of that stuff and allowing it to have a life of its own. And at 40 to have not really gotten uh, a knack or handle on that part of it in the, in the finishing of it, it is, something that I am scared that I will struggle with for the rest of my life. Okay. And that ultimately at some point will give up on, which I haven't yet. I ha I, I don't feel like I've given up. Okay. I'm still actively pursuing those things, but I have still yet to find this, um, compulsion or like the necessity to, to do something, finish it, put it out, and move on. Okay. And so I think 
and I mean, and the, the odd thing about that is that this show is 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 a is a is a queer twist because it it stays the same forever. That it's almost it's never finished because it's it's the same. So it almost it doesn't quite give me. You know what I mean? Like it, it, although it obviously it spans our fucking lives and everything, but in its nature, that it doesn't quite quench that thing because it is this cyclical, same thing every time, sort of like bizarre, a mass thing. Whereas like a band or a record, it's like you're done. It does well. It doesn't do well. Who cares? You move on. You do something else. Uh, it's not there. There are con- there are confines to it. Whereas this thing has no walls. Well, Jonathan. Birth and death <laughs> intertwine. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah, dude. Never ending. Yeah. It's a circle. It is a circle. It's all a circle. It's the past. It's the present. It's the future. It's everything. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a joy. But it's, yeah, it's, it, no, it is a joy. There's no question about that. I mean, if it wasn't in my life, the thing that I am talking about would have killed me to the core. It has been my only relief from my artistic lethargy that I suffer from in other pursuits that this thing has continually given me something to not live for like in the truest sense of the word, like if, but maybe, who knows? For me. No, I mean, for me too. I mean, it's, it's gotten... It's stayed constant through some of the best and worst times of the last 11 years. It's everything. It's gone through every change that I've gone through as far as its its presence. And there are times when I feel as though there wasn't much else that I felt obligated to do and that there was something about this that made me feel that way. And that is in part you and that's in part the audience that shares it and the idea of not wanting to deprive them of it because they still want it and that kind of stuff like this is the ultimate thank you and like oh god you have to keep listening right please god please keep please keep listening listening. but i mean i think that 40 that i'm like oh fuck like i have to make a few more records before i fucking kick it you know and like i haven't lived the healthiest life so it's like i don't know how long i got like i hope i got a while but like you know you know, I don't want to necessarily be doing that stuff when I'm like, you know, I should be concentrating on like, you know, maybe, you know, some other stuff that lay beyond this this event horizon or whatever. Like, I'd like to do it when I'm still in touch enough with the world that it might have some resonance with, with you know, people, younger people, stuff like that. And I hear myself saying that, and it's terrifying because I've heard people <laughs> like this saying that. And in my head, as a younger person, I was like, don't do that. Like, it's already over, dog. Like, stop. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, funny, it's a funny thing. Yes, life is funny. <laughs> um, well, happy birthday soon. Soon. We got some more talking about that, I'm sure, between now and oh, then. You're going to yeah. hit me. I mean. I'll hit you with it over and over. It's all I got. I got to get you to 40 just so I can have a little, you know. Yeah. I mean, how old am I? Yeah, I got to get you there just to so I just can Just to get me there. Feel so alone. Yeah. In this swimming and Yeah, Amir's Amir is a year ahead of me, you know, and it's like somebody that I've kind of, you know, 
seen but he's you know i mean i see him and and i see you and i'm like oh this doesn't look so bad but then i see people that i went to high school with and i'm like i'm gonna fucking kill myself tomorrow you know so it's tough you know it it does it it works it's different for it it people wear it differently and i can't totally tell how i'm wearing it because i'm me you know and so you're like fuck you know do i look like a fucking idiot you know what i mean like are these jeans too young you know no i'm kidding but they are but Thank you so much um, for listening to this show that we are so fucking lucky to get to do. And so I guess if, if you can, uh, please keep listening. Yeah, keep That's listening. It. This is 576. Come back for 577. Seatbelts. Seatbelts. Have a little song. Won't take long. Sing it right Once or twice All out of me Didn't I shake sugary Everything I got is done in part Everything I got is done in part Part my watch Part my chain Upon everything that was in my name All out of me, didn't I shake sugary Everything I got is done in pawn Everything I got is done in pawn Pawn my buggy, horse and cot Upon everything that was on my life All out of me, didn't I shake sugary Everything I got is done in pond Everything I got is done in pond Pond my chair, pond my bed Got nowhere to lay my head. Oh, out of me, didn't I shake sugary? Everything I got is done in pawn. Everything I got is done in pawn. Pawn my tobacco, pawn my pipe. Upon everything that was in my sight All out of me, didn't I shake sugary Everything I got is done in pawn Everything I got is done in pawn Have a little secret, I ain't gonna tell I'm going to heaven in a ground piece shell All out of me, didn't I shake sugary Everything I got is done in pond Everything I got is done in pond Pond my farm, pond my plow Pawn everything, even pawn my old cow. All out of me, didn't I shake sugary? 
Everything I got is done in pawn. Everything I got is done in pawn. Pawn my hat, pawn my shoes, pawn everything that I could use. All out of me, didn't I shake sugar? Everything I got is done in pawn. Everything I got is done in pawn. Have a little secret I ain't gonna tell. I'm going to heaven and I ain't gonna. Oh, lot of me, didn't I shake sugar in? Everything I got is done in pawn. Everything I got is done in pawn. Chew my tobacco, spit my juice. We're raised king, but it ain't a bit of use. All out of me, didn't I shake sugar in? Everything I got is done in pawn. Everything I got is done in pawn. Everything I got is done in